Thank you, Dr. Thomas. Uh, Orlando is uh, on the road towards ordination. For those of you that don't know him, uh, Dr. Thomas is a conference ministerial candidate within our church, and uh, we are excited to see what the Lord's going to do in his life and through this ordination process for him. But uh, for those of you that don't know him well, um, Dr. Thomas is also an integral part of our prayer team, along with several others. And uh, each Sunday evening at 6 o'clock and each Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, uh, that prayer team is gathering and they are praying prayers just like he just prayed now and more uh, for you, for our community, for our world. And uh, we just would invite anybody who wants to be a part of that and those prayer times to join us. Uh, again, 6 p.m. on Sunday nights, 8 o'clock on Tuesday nights. And uh, just lift your hearts in prayer to uh, the Lord. So you can uh, email us, uh, email our office at newhopefree.org. Uh, or you can email me, Pastor Scott, at newhopefree.org. And we will uh, share with you a Zoom link. Uh, that you can be a part of those prayer times together with us. So thank you, Dr. Thomas, and uh, thank you for those of you, uh, all of you participating with us this morning, just in an extended time of prayer. Um, I don't know about you. I can imagine that you are with me. Um, it was just kind of hard this week uh, to put thoughts to paper and uh, to come up with a plan for what to speak about. Uh, it's been so dominated by just a variety of things, right? Just the news coming at us is uh, tremendously difficult to navigate this week from the loss of church members, uh, both present church members and past, uh, to the changes going on uh, in various homes and think of graduations and all the different things that are happening there. School semesters are ending and um, just the ongoing work of church and other things. It's just it's been tremendously difficult um, to put words to paper this week. So I've put together some thoughts. Uh, I've been following, for those of you that follow along, I've been following the Revised Common Lectionary and, and their uh, guidance for the, type, the, the scriptures that we can dig into a little bit uh, as we move week to week. And it's designed to teach the scriptures. Uh, the Revised Common Lectionary takes us through the Bible over the course of three years. And uh, we dip in and out of it uh, periodically as the Lord leads us. And uh, right now it's just been a, a good season for me to dip into it uh, to receive some extra help and guidance uh, during these days when it is difficult to put pen to paper. And uh, so this week I'm going to pick up and I'm just going to read for you briefly from Acts uh, chapter 7, starting with verse uh, 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. There's a lot of application in this small 
set of verses for us this week, and I want to unpack that for you for just a few minutes, but I think it is important to back up a little bit and just bring us current, um, kind of, if you're watching a TV series, it's always good. They always start out the, the next show by saying, previously on, and I think we're going to do that today, previously on New Hope's Facebook live stream. Um, we talked last week about the chaotic transition of the church from the upper room to the spirit-filled movement that it became. In one day, the church had become a megachurch with all of its complexities, from 120 to 3,000, and then more and more being added to their number daily. We talked of how that experience revealed the principles of preparation in the midst of chaos and change. And when change happened, the people of God simply had to hold on. But they prayed, they listened, they learned, they turned ordinary life into an ongoing offering for Christ. And God blessed and expanded the church every day. New people were being added. You know, Luke's purpose in telling us the story of the history of the church is partly to reveal what happened, but in telling us how the church fulfilled Jesus' words and moved from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Luke also wants people to know the signs of the Holy Spirit and even more how Jesus continued to be with them. Far from just history, Luke's account is one of fulfilled promises, of encouragement, of exhortation and hope even in the face of injustice and persecution and trial. And so I want you to just say with me right now, God is with us. Jesus is with us. His Holy Spirit is with us. And today we're just going to see how that is expressed through the life and the person and the character of this man named Stephen. It says uh, in the scriptures that Stephen was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. He was full of grace and power. And he eventually became, and now as we've just read, the first martyr of the Christian church. He's often revered and he's certainly venerated as such, but there's way more to the story than just his martyrdom. He is a hinge point, really, a hinge point in the transition and the growth of the church from, from this small band to now these 3,000 and trying to organize themselves to all of a sudden now from Jerusalem. You'll find out if you read into chapter 8 that now the message is transmitted and, and moved into Judea and Samaria, but it only came because of persecution. Stephen is a great biblical character. He's one of the first deacons the church uh, had officially consecrated. He was chosen to quote-unquote wait on tables. Uh, basically, he was chosen to help with food distribution because this rapidly growing church had a conflict. The different ethnic Jews couldn't agree on how to take care of those in need. Those of Greek background started complaining against those of the Hebrew background, and the apostles were looking to move the gospel forward, but they couldn't because of the growing conflict. So they decided to choose some people to handle the operational needs of caring for the poor and enter Stephen. He's a layman, but he's full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We don't know much about him. Was he one of the original 120? Was he one of the newest converts? It's hard to say. The text is not entirely clear, but what is clear is that he knew his Bible. He had learned the story. As a layperson, he didn't hesitate to tell when given the chance. 
and God was using him to do some great signs and miracles. You know, I think it's interesting as we think about that phrase, signs and miracles, it's repeated often in these uh, chapters in Acts. We don't hear a lot about what those signs and miracles are. We get little glimpses here and there, healings and different things like that. And later on, there'll be some exorcisms and things like that. But we don't hear all of them. And I wonder why, but I, I think that maybe the broader point is that signs and wonders are important to the move and to the growth of the church, but it's not necessarily always going to look the same in every age. And they are part of the movement, and so we need to be asking that question, what in our day and age constitutes signs and miracles, and what does that look like as the Holy Spirit is moving among us and pouring out radical generosity and prayer and and moving on people's hearts. That's something that we want to be considering in these days. This well-trained layman gets arrested and accused, accused of blasphemy. What, what, what is that about? Like, why did that happen? We already have read, if you go back to chapter 3 and 4, Peter and John, they've been arrested a couple of times already, thrown in prison, and but they are let go. They get flogged. It's not an easy process, but they are let go. But here's this man, Stephen. He's just doing his thing. He's, he's, he's telling the good news, and he's doing what's been asked of him, and he gets arrested. Members of a group known as the Freedmen got into a debate with Stephen, and they became jealous of his debate skills. Really, just jealous of his perspective and message more than anything else, because you see these group were a, a descendants of Jews who had been captured and taken to Rome under the rule of General Pompey early in the first part of the, the first century BC. So uh, about a hundred years previously, they had been captured and taken to Rome, but they were eventually considered terrible slaves because they were so devoted to living out the Jewish law that they eventually were freed and sent back. You can imagine that people with that kind of reputation were not big fans of this new movement of the Holy Spirit. And they started to pick a fight with Stephen and some of the other apostles. And, of course, you throw in uh, the fact that they weren't able to debate very well with him or overcome him. And then a little gossip in the ranks. And before you know it, he's standing before an angry group on trumped-up charges. Does this, does this story sound familiar to anybody? because it should. It happened with Jesus, not but a few months before. Made up charges, an angry mob, people looking for a reason to accuse and to convict. And then the attention now turns to Stephen, and he's given a chance to respond. And Stephen gives the full account of the story of Jesus. And it reminded me, possibly resembling the kind of story that Jesus might have used on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples. A similar response to the couple of sermons that Peter has already preached. He emphasized that Jesus does not live any longer in temples made by human hands, but he now lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice here that Luke is emphasizing that Jesus is God and the Holy Spirit is one with God and with Jesus. And the people get angry. And Stephen looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he tells them, see, I, I see Jesus at the right hand of God. In this instance, the right hand stands for honor. 
symbolically all throughout the Old Testament statements about the right hand refer to honor, among other things, but typically a lot about honor. Bathsheba, for instance, was given a great seat to the right of her son Solomon. You can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 2. The psalmist declared in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies underneath your feet. Jesus declared that it was his destiny to sit at the right hand of God. And Paul later on in Galatians mentions some brothers in Galatia that gave them the right hand of fellowship, a very high honor. And of course, if you read over in Revelation, as John recounted Jesus in Revelation 1.17, Jesus placed his right hand on him and said, do not be afraid. And Jesus is standing now next to God, almost like he's in a position of welcoming Stephen. What might Luke be saying here? Jesus is with his people. He doesn't sit idly by and watch his people suffer. He's up and he's engaged and he's waiting to receive them. And then the people rush at him. And really, this is where it gets uncomfortable today. Because really, this is nothing more than what we would call a modern day lynching. There is nothing that could justify this action. And yet they rush at him, they drag him out, and they stone him. And the injustice of it all screams at us today. In the face of all of our crying out for justice for Ahmed, injustice is injustice. Stephen was a victim of the most cruel form of injustice. And it continues today. And Jesus was standing there before Stephen. As if to draw the parallels, Luke shares two significant phrases that teach the similarities of this situation to Jesus. The first and last phrases of Jesus. Jesus says right at the end, Lord, receive my spirit. And that's that's what Stephen says, Lord, receive my spirit. That's from Acts 7, 59, which is also flowing from the psalm that Andrew sung so beautifully for us, Psalm 31, 5, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your hands, hands of power, of honor, and of love, hands that were nailed to the cross for my shame and for my guilt, into your hands, the hands that I can trust, the hands that bring hope, and meet all of my needs, hands that will carry out, carry me out of my trials and pain and into a whole new place, into your hands. I'm yours, God. Again, the same prayer prayed by Jesus right before he died, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then there's this beautiful prayer of humility and forgiveness. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Jesus said that right at the beginning of his time on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. How could Stephen be so humble as he's being killed for his faith, as he's being painfully murdered? He's asking forgiveness for his murderers. Just as Jesus prayed, Father, they simply don't know what they are doing, forgive them. What a place 
to get to in our hearts. These two stories, they represent radical transitions. They represent God's presence with his people, and they represent God's love. We can only see God through the suffering of his son, Jesus Christ. And as we suffer, we suffer with Christ, and we see God waiting for us, hands outstretched. But we are also reminded that God has always been with his people, and as he was then, he continues to be with us now. Change is never comfortable. John Stott, in his commentary on Acts, called the Message of Acts, he says it this way, and I'll just read because I can't say it better. Change is painful to us all, especially when it affects our cherished buildings and customs, and we should not seek change merely for the sake of change. Yet true Christian radicalism is open to change. It knows that God has bound himself to his church, promising that he will never leave it, and to his word, promising that he will never pass away. But God's church means people, not buildings. And God's word means scripture, not traditions. So long as these essentials are preserved, the buildings and the traditions can, if necessary, go. We must not allow them to imprison the living God or to impede his mission in this world. That is such a powerful summation of what is happening here toward the end of chapter 7 in Acts and what is really happening throughout that first seven chapters and now the transition occurs and it will start to transcend and move all over the world. The world, the world that knew Stephen and the extended world of the growing Christian movement was shocked by his martyrdom and even more shocked by the ensuing persecution. We have the hindsight to show us that without it, there might not have been a Saul to become a Paul. A neat little thing that Luke just throws in there that'll come back to you later. We have the hindsight to show us a lot of things, and in the middle of it, I am sure that it didn't make any sense to the people. Just like our circumstances in today's world, they don't make sense. We can't make sense of injustice and evil and hatred because it doesn't make sense. We're not necessarily supposed to make sense of it. Those disciples had a choice. Those disciples decided that it didn't have to make sense to them. They simply had to remain faithful and be connected to God through his Holy Spirit, and they had to follow through, and they had to be faithful and obedient to whatever came knowing that Jesus was with them. The result was in God's hands. Are we able today to commit ourselves into the hands of God? That's the question for us to ponder as we go throughout this day and in the coming weeks ahead. Are we able to commit ourselves into the hands of a loving and trusting God that no matter what comes, he's in charge 
and his movement will spread, and history will tell the tale of our obedience or lack thereof. God, may we be found obedient and faithful to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we cling to you now for help, for guidance. But Lord, we simply cling to you in faith, knowing that we don't need to have all the answers, knowing that we don't need to understand exactly what's going on, but Lord, knowing that we need your strength and your help to persevere and to do your will and to love you and to love others and to serve your world with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength devoted to you. And so, Lord Jesus, we just need to be encouraged today and to be reminded that your hands are trustworthy, your hands are loving. Your hands were nailed to the cross for us. And you came back and you rose again to remind us that you are there, that you are never going to leave us, that you are never going to forsake us. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, as we ponder those thoughts today, we just ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love and grace and mercy and truth. Lord Jesus, we are with you. We love you. And into your hands, we commit our spirits our lives, and all of what we do and say. We love you and thank you because you are worthy. You are with us. In Jesus' name, I pray all of these things. Amen. <laughs>